Welcome to No Apology with the Bible Idiots. It's time for Long Form Teaching. I'm Chris Danielson. Emily's out today. We're going to go to my message from last Sunday, 1 Peter chapter 1. And one of the things you're not going to hear on the podcast is a little video clip I used to introduce the sermon. And it was about Seabiscuit when he first had to relearn how to be a horse again. And they ran it out. It was a great illustration to get us into this topic. I hope that it makes an impact in your life. Thanks for listening to No Apology with the Bible Idiots. You can get more information at BibleIdiots.com. Now let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1 in a message entitled, We Have It All, Be Joyful. So when you think about ourselves being all wound up, one of the things I first think about is the news of the day. Have you heard any good news lately? Here's an example of the news that made headlines in the last week. There's a shipping crisis, apparently for no real reason. There's gas price pressure everywhere, again, no real reason. The unvaccinated are getting fired and or not paid, again, for no real reason. The stories are that if you're unvaccinated, you carry the virus more. All the science says that we all carry it, vaccinated or unvaccinated. Apparently, if you're vaccinated, you can get it. You just get less violent symptoms, but either way. 20 countries got together this past week and decided to tax the entire world. That was pretty good. Climate change is going to bankrupt many nations, again, for no real reason. I mean, the climate change science has actually been debunked so many times that now big tech has to silence, defund, and deplatform anyone who deny climate change. God is in charge of the climate. Now, I didn't even speak about the upturn of violent crime, which happens to be happening most rampant in the places that have chosen to defund the police. I'm shocked, said no one ever. (laughs) I could literally stand here for hours reading you news stories from around the globe and paint a picture of a terrible social upheaval and moral decay. But I think it's very clear to all of us that our world is a mess. It's also safe to say that good news is hard to find in a sin-cursed world. In fact, this world could rightly be described as one trouble piled upon another. Winding us up till we're laying in our bed like a five-foot-six burrito. The sad part of all of this is the fact that when we read the headlines and we ponder what's happening, when we think of our own problems and burdens, we tend to get caught up to the point of losing heart. Sometimes we are guilty of allowing the world around us to steal the joy, to steal the the glory, to steal the momentary happiness that God has placed within our hearts, and this should not be. If you know Jesus, this should not be. You know, maybe we've been so confused and so conditioned, both soft things and hard things, been so beaten down, been so uncomfortable, been so comfortable in our numbness, at the same time, we need to learn to be people of God again. Like Seabiscuit, we need to get back to simply living for the Lord and doing the simple, straightforward manner. We need to run it out. And running it out week by week in these dark times and renewing our God-given identity made in His image, saved and set apart as His children. And that's the title of the message today. I'm going to show you through the Scriptures, you have it all, be joyful. Now, the message is verses 1 through 5, but we're going to go through verse 9. And 
most likely next week we're going to talk about 6 through 9. But I only have time to get through verse, verses 5 today. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read through verses 1 through 9. The message is based on 1 through 5, just giving you a heads up. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. So that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, though perishable, is refined by fire may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Lord Jesus, let these be your words to your children. In Jesus' name, in your precious name, Lord, amen. Be seated, please. See, in the first verse of our text, Peter addresses this letter to some people very specifically. Who, who's it to? It's to the exile, to the, those that are dispersed abroad. Another way to put it is strangers scattered. He is writing to Jewish believers who have been forced to leave their homeland and have found themselves dispersed, scattered into other parts of the world. These people, because of their belief and faith, are being subject to persecutions and sufferings that honestly, you and I can't really relate to. Peter is writing to them against this backdrop of pain and suffering to encourage them in their faith. He is reminding them that in the midst of the trials, right smack dab in the middle of it, there are some reliable reasons for real rejoicing. Authentic celebration right in the middle of it. Not when it's over, not when you get what you need, not when you cross over into glory, but right in the middle of it. The rejoicing lies in the word exile or strangers. And this refers to somebody who travels through a strange land. See, Peter's reminding these folks that they are not home yet. They are merely strangers passing through a foreign land. And one day that journey will end and they will be home. Remember last week, Revelation 21? It's on YouTube. If you haven't seen it, please do. It makes a lot of sense. And I don't know, but I kind of feel like Emily and I have an unfair advantage because we're always the strangers in a strange land. We've only been here not even a year and a half yet. And I try to process through my mind what it must be like to all the experiences that we've had in our life to think that they all happened here in Dickinson County, like many of you. And it's hard to relate. And yet, 
you know as Christians, as Christ followers, how easy it is right in the middle of this homeland of yours to be strangers. To be strangers because your faith has defined you as something else. Look, there's still going to be battles to fight, valleys to cross, dark nights to endure, pains to suffer. But in the midst of it all, it's easy to lose perspective. It's easy to forget who we are in Jesus and where we are going because of Jesus. The passage serves as a reminder of whose we are. We belong to Jesus and where we're going. And this is the culminating message, folks. This is it. I might go back into 6 through 9 next week of this passage just because I think that there's some depth there that I want to pull out for us all. But, you know, I asked, who are you? Then I asked, and then I explained who we are. And then I talked about what time it really is. And last week, the astounding new world. This is the culminate. This is, bring it all together now. Bring it home. See, for a few minutes today, I want you to put the headlines out of your mind. I want you to forget your troubles. I want you to look up out of the valley of life. And I want you to be shown through the word of God that you have it all. Be joyful. And the point number one of that message is we are saved by grace. We are saved by grace. Now, this is easy to say. It becomes white noise. It becomes Christianese. But if you are saved today, it is not because you did anything to deserve it. These two verses are filled with the truth that salvation is a work of pure grace, verses 2 and 3 of the text I just read to you. Notice what Peter says in those verses. He says, we have been chosen by God. It refers to advanced planning on the part of God. In other words, if you are saved today, it's because God chose you in Jesus before the world began. And why in our flesh nature do we immediately want to start having the argument about, well, if he chose me, did he choose you? No, if you know Jesus, you were chosen. Hold on to that. Ephesians 1.4 takes us even further. Ephesians 1.4 says, For he chose us in him before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. That is a work of grace. Not one of us deserves to be chosen by God. But we have been called by God. Peter speaks of through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. What does that mean? Part of the process to bring us to Jesus was the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God awoke us to our need of salvation. He spoke to our hearts about our lost condition. He called us to repentance, and he gave us to faith. He gave the faith to us. I don't even have the ability to conjure up my own faith. He gave the faith to us to respond to God's free offer. Do you understand that it's by faith, through grace, in Jesus Christ, that you are saved. Listen to this. Every eye will see, every knee will bend, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when that happens, a big chunk of those people are going to be moved over to damnation and hell and eternal separation from God. Ah, oh, didn't they cry out to the name of Jesus? Yes, but they did so with the sight of Jesus in their presence, and then they know he's God. The one God saves through grace are those who have faith in this because they know it's true because the Spirit called them and laid it on their hearts, and they responded. 
They responded with authentic lives of surrender to Christ through faith, not through sight. See, it's a work of grace. Not a single person in this room deserves to be called to salvation, but we are. No one is ever saved apart from it. Two verses in the book of John, same chapter, but they're separated a little bit. John 6, 44. It says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And raise him up on the last day? Think about it. We're all confessing that Jesus is God. He's right in front of us, that he's the Lord. And many of us have done that by faith. Many of us have been drawn by the Father. Verse 65, same chapter, John 6. He says, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. This is why when people hear the gospel message, when they're convicted of their sin, when they know they need a Savior, and they don't accept Christ by faith, it's tragic. See, we are drawn as we come to the Father, we get cleansed by God. According to Peter, God did not stop with choosing us and calling us, but he also cleansed us when we came to Christ. The precious blood that Jesus shed on Calvary has the power to wash away the vilest of sins. Surely the blood of Jesus is the only hope the sinner has that he has been cleansed. Surely no sinner deserved for that blood to be shed. You weren't worthy. A lot of times we hear people say, Jesus loved me so much he died for me. Almost as, I have all this worth. No, Jesus loved me so much as I'm a loser, as I'm a sinner, as I'm this disgusting, disturbed just awful thing. He loved me in that condition. That's what makes it such great news. The grace allowed him to take on himself the sins of the world. It was grace that parted his lips when he hollered out. In John 19.30, he hollers it out. He says, it is finished. What was finished? The work needed for you to be cleansed. That blood was shed, and any sinner, any sinner who hears the call of the Spirit of God can come and have his sins washed whiter than snow by the precious blood of Jesus Christ by faith when they hear the Spirit pulling them. And usually that's through preaching, almost exclusively through the foolishness of preaching. So look at the plan. Peter tells us that God in all of this was to put into effect a plan. What's that plan? That plan is a new birth. A new birth to all those who come to him. This is what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Simply stated, when a sinner repents of his sin and her sin and responds to the call of God for salvation, this person, listen to me now, is literally reborn as a child of God. That moment on, it's different. According to the Bible, when we were born the first time, we were born into the family of Adam. This first birth resulted in all of us being born with a deformity. Did you know that? Not of the flesh, but you were born with a spiritual deformity. Every one of us. We were all born spiritually dead. Romans 5.12 lays it out pretty good. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. Bada bing, bada boom. There it is. We were born with a nature that pulled towards sin away from God. That's our natural bent. Some call it the flesh nature. 
Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out our inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. Pretty bleak. All humans are born into this world as vile, dirty sinners. What I just said to you is against every single strategic plan to grow a church. You don't ever say that if you want to grow your church. <laughs> Got to be honest with you. I ain't never going to grow a church. <laughs> That's God's problem. He called me to be faithful and tell you all the truth week after week, day after day. And when we get uncorked and we get unwound and when we're running it out, let me tell you, we are going to live in a joy realizing we have it all. But as you look at the sin nature, it gets worse. Not only are we sinners by birth, but we actually grow and nurture our sin natures. We become sinners by choice. Isaiah 53, 6 says, we all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. As a result of our sin, we are separated from God, and we are destined to suffer a second death. It's a place called hell, a place where sinners really do not die. They go there and experience eternal separation from the presence of God and an awful pain of what the Bible says in Mark chapter 9, verses 44 through 48, unquenchable fire forever. Point number two, you never want to say that, not my, not my point on the message yet, but second thing, you never want to say what I just said under the strategic plan of how to grow your church. You got to come with an I'm okay, you're okay, and Jesus is great. Let's add him to what we got going on. Best life now. <laughs> is that what Jesus lived and died to do? Seven principles to a better you and a better me? I don't think so. When he came, he died on the cross. He paid the sin for every person who will receive him by faith. And you have it all. And the joy can't stop. When a sinner repents and comes to Jesus, that sinner is instantly transformed into a saint. Many of you can look 10,000 foot view at my life and look at me and go, he doesn't look like a saint. But we get a brand new spirit. We get a brand new start. We're children of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Listen to this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. All sins are forever forgiven. I want to hit you with two verses out of Colossians chapter 2. And this is from the New Living Translation. If you've been following along, I'm changing it up here just for this one because I just like the way this one says. You ready? It says this. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and it took away and it 
and took it away by nailing it to the cross. That's how he did it. Let's go to 1 John, back to the CSB, which I like to preach out of. person is immediately adopted into the family of God. You're a saint, and now you're immediately into the family of God. It says this in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, see what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. We will see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. See, we pursue a more pure lifestyle. We pursue more righteous living. Not conjuring it up on our own, not trying to put it on, put on the airs, put on the, the view of, you know, the Christianese. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. And we don't start doing behavior modification. I told you when I was a young man, my dad had come to the Lord in 1978, changed everything for my family. I was still going through high school, going through high school trying to figure it out. We'd go to these youth groups trying to do the right thing. And I'd be around a lot of these fake kids. We don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't go with those who do. Get out of my car. Get out. You see what I'm saying? Now, when you break that down, that's a good thing. God bless you, brothers and sisters. Pursue righteousness. But those little things don't do anybody any good. Instead, we are joyful in our setting away the things of the world. And then we don't judge others who may not have seen that yet. See, the bottom line is, is this. There's one thing in all of eternity that it comes down to. You ready? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? That's it. Luke 10, 20. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Revelation 21, 27. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. How do you get your name written there? You come to Jesus and you repent and you say, I am a sinner and I need you, Lord. And you transfer trust that you're never going to be able to earn anything on your own. It's all going to be him. It's all his work. And in that moment, you are now a new creature in Christ and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And that's a real reason for rejoicing always. Let's look at it again. Listen to this. When a sinner repents and comes to Jesus, that sinner is instantly transformed into a saint. Let me give you four things. Ready? Sinner gets a brand new start. Brand new start. Don't care what you knew about me before. Doesn't matter. Brand new. All sins are forever forgiven. All sins. Person is immediately adopted into the family of God. And their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That should unwind you. 
Peter tells us that the product of all this work by God is a living hope. Simply put, this refers to a living confidence we can have in a bright future. Our hope is living. It is sure. It is certain. It is real. And what's going to come against it? Well, the counterfeit of Satan's coming. He's going to try to be deceptive, empty, false hope in what the world has to offer. Look, many in our day are pinning their hopes in their 401ks or how the stock market's going to respond or hope in their health or in their family. A lot of wishful thinking going on. Or in the next political candidate that might come and change things. The New Testament uses the word hope and it does not refer to a fond wish or desire. Listen to this. This was written by a scholar, obviously more smarter than me. And I don't even know if more smarter is grammatically correct. I'll get gooder and gooder the more I try. All the aforementioned, this is what it means. Listen to this now. This was written by a scholar much brighter than I am. A confident assurance based on the word of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that produces an excited response. I don't know about you, but I like that. One more time. Let me hit you with it again. A confident assurance based on the word of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that produces an excited response. You get it? We as believers speak of hope of heaven. We're not talking about pie in the sky. We're not talking about the good old by and by. We're talking about a sure thing. We're talking about something that is more solid than the ground under our feet. We are referring to something that is settled. It's infallible. It's the word of God. Folks, there might be a lot of turmoil going on today. But those who are saved possess a hope that is out of this world. This alone is enough to shout about. Peter isn't finished. I got two more quick points. Now, point number two, our inheritance is secure. In verse four of our text today, it says, into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is a guaranteed place. Peter says that we are receipts of an inheritance. An inheritance is what? Something left behind by someone who has died, right? It is a gift to those who are still living from one who isn't. In our case, however, we have an inheritance provided by the one who died, but who now lives. As children of God, we share in the inheritance of God. And it's, it's mentioned in Christ's last will and testament. Where's that found? Glad you asked. John 17, verses 22 through 24, says it right there. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that we may be made completely one. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory which you have given me because you love me before the world's foundation. Do you see it? We will one day share in the inheritance of the one who gave it to us in glory someday. Don't worry about heaven being some myth that some people say in our day. We have it on good authority that heaven is a reality to those who know the Lord. And more on point two, most likely next week. Last point today, point number three. We are guarded by God himself. This is awesome. We are guarded by God himself. In verse five, it says, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. 
Listen to the promise here. Peter tells these early believers that they are guarded. What the translation here is kept. Okay, it refers to like garrison being protected by a military guard would be another, uh, you know, unwinding of the, of the word. The power that keeps us resides in us. Who's that? That's the Holy Spirit. Very literally, the child of God has much better protection than any world leader anywhere, including the President of the United States. Might have the Secret Service, but we have Almighty God. That's perfect protection. The Bible is clear when it says here we are kept by the power of God. There's no mistranslation possible for anybody doing this honestly. All right? Almighty God does the keeping. And our salvation is rock solid secure and is kept in his hands. Therefore, we can rest confidently regardless of what's going on around us. Philippians 1.6 says this. I'm sure of this that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Until the day of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter about the turmoil of today. His salvation takes over our lives. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's not as clear to you as it is to me. I hope it's been clear to you today that when those of us who are saved are called to a hope and a joy that circumstances can't erase. There are reliable reasons for real rejoicing. Truly, those who are saved by grace have many reasons to be happy and joyful regardless of our circumstances. And I want to encourage you to get your eyes off the troubles of the world and the turmoil that's going on around us, and rejoice in your salvation. You're better to yourself, you're better to those around you, and most importantly, you will live to give God glory in spite of yourself. And I see it sometimes, and it's awesome to see. Learn to praise God for who you are, where you are, what you have, what's going on in your life. It'll make the rest of life not just bearable, but flat-out joyful. Flat out joyful. If you are here and you have not been saved, I want you to understand that it's the biggest decision you can make in your life. And one of the things you, you do when you go to certain churches that believe kind of like what we believe, sometimes the pastor will play just as I am ten times and browbeat people to come down and kneel and, and accept the Lord as their Savior. I don't do that. I'm more of a straight guy, just here it is. But if you let the view of anybody in this room and their opinion of what they think of you affect you, if the Holy Spirit's calling you, then I'm asking that you would overcome that satanic attack right now. We're going to close the service out. And there is more food here than, than, than we have people here. So if you didn't bring anything today, the natural inclination is not to want to stay. I'm telling you, stay and break bread with us. But during that transition from the end of the service until we go out there and break bread together, you come down to this altar, I'll pray with you. I'll introduce Jesus Christ to you. It'll be a great privilege of mine. I don't keep a scorecard. I'm not a closer for Jesus. But if you know you need him, you can leave today with the assurance that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life as you confess your sins and transfer that trust to the one and only God of heaven the Lord Jesus Christ.
and his spirit will come and dwell in you. And I leave that invitation open to you as we close our service today. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would put feet underneath the potential faith of somebody here that needs you, that they would indeed come forward and and seek you. And Lord, those that know you and we're all going to party together in the new Jerusalem, I ask that they would be strengthened to be more joyful in their lives as they go forward today. And Lord, we ask that you bless this food to our bodies for your glory, for our benefit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to our Sunday message. To donate, request prayer, or to contact Pastor Chris, you can write to Lifehouse Church at P.O. Box 661, Abilene, Kansas, 67410, or go online at lifehouse-church.com. On behalf of the entire congregation, thanks again for your support.